0: Straight from the conspiracy theory iceberg, we take a look at a man who would do anything to protect his family. That man's name? O.J. Simpson. And then we end the week with a personal theory of mine. We talk a lot about where ghosts come from, why they haunt particular locations and not others. But there is one location that everyone uses that is most likely the most haunted place on the planet. And we'll take a look at those today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We're just going to go ahead and get started with this because we kind of got a lot of stuff to cover. Now, a lot of listeners go, hey man, we want more Conspiracy Iceberg stuff. And I'm totally down to do more Conspiracy Iceberg stuff. It does tend to take more research. And there's so much of it. So if you guys have any particular recommendations of what you want to hear about on the Conspiracy Iceberg, just shoot me an email, leave a comment in the videos, things like that. There's just a lot of stuff. And so I kind of have to pick and choose. And there's a lot of stuff I come across on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg that just isn't super intriguing once you really start looking into it. And I'm like, I could, this would be like a five-minute segment. But this story is one that people kind of laugh about. You see it on the Conspiracy Iceberg. You think it's one of those made-up things. There's actually quite a lot of evidence. Well, I don't know if I want to use the word evidence, but alleged evidence to back this up. So... I'm going to briefly cover this because I think a lot of people are familiar with it, but back in, I don't even remember the year, unfortunately, I think it was like 94, I know his trial was in 95, but O.J. Simpson murdered, sorry, shouldn't have said that, the the police said that O.J. Simpson murdered... Uh, Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. So Nicole Brown was his wife and they were kind of on the outs. It might have been his ex-wife at the time. I'm not too... I I lived through that whole time period and I remember really not caring much about it back then. But you watch this guy, you watch this world-famous athlete slash star of the Naked Gun movies, which the first two hold up really well. He ends up getting charged with the murder of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. A brutal, brutal slashing murder, and I remember at the time it's like he just chopped them both up with a knife, assuming well the reason why I have to keep backtracking on that was he was acquitted of it he, wasn't, he was found, He wasn't found not guilty, he was just acquitted of the charges that he had killed those two people, and he had a great legal team, and a lot of people thought he had something to do with it, and he as legally, they could never prove anything. So he walked on those charges. So the, everyone, was, everyone thought O.J. Simpson was going to be found guilty, and he wasn't. And he says, now I'm off to find the real killers. And then he just played golf for pretty much the rest of his life until he ended up committing like strong armed robbery a couple of years ago, and he's in a Nevada prison. But So if he was guilty of the murder, he did eventually end up paying for it because he ended up going to prison for trying to steal back memorabilia that someone had taken from him. All that being said, This next thing we're going to talk about on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg actually may paint O.J. Simpson in a new light. It may actually paint him as world's best dad. Maybe. Let's take a look at this. So, there was a private investigator named Bill Deer. Bill Deer. If he said it both names together, he sounds like a character from The Hobbit. But Bill Deer was a private investigator and he started looking into the O.J. case and he said, O.J. is innocent and I can prove it. So much so that he wrote a book called O.J. is Innocent, and I Can Prove It. And in this book, he lays out the facts that O.J. Simpson did not murder Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. His son did. Now, everything I'm about to talk about is completely alleged. It's from Bill Deere's vault that he got underneath the Mines of Moria. He found this giant ancient text, and he got all these details. So I'm not saying that Jason Simpson did these things, but he does. He's saying that. So, and this is, on the conspiracy theory iceberg, it's listed as O.J.'s son is the real killer. So this is what Bill Deere just plotted out in his book. Nonfiction book, by the way. Well, nonfiction, according to him, people have disputed it. But he says he found evidence that Jason was diagnosed with IED. Which, if you're going to have a mental disease, have one named after a bomb. That is, at least that's pretty badass. But anyways... He has, could you imagine going to people and be like, yeah, I'm having a terrible day. My IED is really flaring up. People are like, ah. He's not allowed into Home Depots anymore. He's not allowed to buy nails. His name, not his name, his disease's name, allegedly, is IED. And that's the last time I'm going to say allegedly. I think you guys will get it. He's supposedly, I guess that's the same as allegedly. Anyways, Bill Deere says that Jason Simpson has IED, which is known as Intermittent Explosive Disorder. That's still pretty badass. Sounds like a horrible thing to suffer through, but it's it still sounds pretty cool. And it's something where you're, you have extreme outbursts of anger over little things. So you just freak out all the time. I'm sure you've known some with IED. I definitely have. But around the time of the... This is all really bizarre. Now, again, we're going to assume for the sake of this that Bill Deere's done his research. and He's not just making stuff up, but... Bill Deere said, around the time of the murder, and this actually would be easy to verify. No one's really disputed a lot of the details. They just dispute the motive. Around the time of the murders, Jason Simpson was on probation. Probation for what, you ask? He was probation for attacking a former employer with a knife. Now, I guess I should have said this earlier, but Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman were stabbed to death. Actually, that's kind of a misnomer. They were cut to ribbons. Cut to ribbons. Don't want to go into a lot of the grisly details. Like, I mean, they weren't just poked a couple times with a knife and whoever did it ran away. They were were completely slashed up. This guy was on probation for attacking a former employer with a knife. Two months before the murders, he had violently assaulted his girlfriend. Just beat the crap out of her. And then on another occasion, he attacked a former girlfriend and cut her hair off using a knife. So Bill Deere is saying that Jason has this... Tendency to fly into a rage at a drop of a hat. That he has attacked people with knives in the very, very recent past, around the time of the murders. I don't know about right now, but around the time of the murders, he had attacked people with knives. He also found some of Jason, Jason Simpson's diaries. Now, this is where I'm kind of like, how did you get these? But anyways, he found these diaries, supposedly, that belonged to Jason Simpson. And I'm going to read this excerpts or these excerpts to you. They're pretty brief. And I want you to ask yourself, are these the signs of somebody who is suffering from IED? They could just blow up at a moment's notice? Or is this the lead singer of Papa Roach? This was in his diary. It's the year of the knife for me. I cut away my problems with a knife. That's one one thing from it. Anybody touches my friends, I will kill them. It's kind of edgy, kind of edgy teenage. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. That was a trick question. But then he also supposedly wrote, "I'm also tired of being Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde." I mean, those are. T- I'm sure you can find a lot of edgy people's diaries or writings, and we'll, they'll have stuff in it like that, or song lyrics for new metal bands. But we're seeing a we're seeing a pattern here: the knife attacks, the mental instability these very edgy writings in this, I'm assuming spiral notebook with like the Stussy symbol drawn on the front eight times. Now let's look at some other brief pieces of evidence. One, they think what, if this is true, what set him off was that Nicole was supposed to come visit Jason's uh, restaurant and at the last minute canceled it, which made him fly into a rage. People at work were like, oh my God, dude, settle down. He's like, give me a knife, give me a knife. They're like, dude, settle down. He's like, give me my notebook. And he starts scribbling out lyrics. People said at the restaurant it really upset him. And apparently his alibi was, well, I couldn't have murdered them. I was working at this restaurant. So I wasn't anywhere near him. People at the restaurant said, we closed early that night. And his time card was simply handwritten that night. It wasn't punched like they normally are in the machine. But the police never really formally questioned him. But as Bill Deere keeps going through this evidence, he says, listen, this is what we, these are the facts we know about the murder. Uh, Ron Goldman had fought for his life. The police said there was most likely like a 10 to 15 minute struggle between the killer and Ron Goldman. Ron Goldman had bruises on his body so deep, so big, that they said it looks like someone punched him to the bone. When they checked OJ Simpson, he didn't have any like bad bruises. He didn't look like he had been in a boxing match. He had some cuts, some small like abrasions. But nothing would suggest that he went, he fought a man to the death for 10 to 15 minutes. Nothing would suggest that. Jason Simpson was a black belt in karate, so he could fight. So, Okay, actually, before I go on to that, I've lost track of the amount of people who said that they are good at karate and gotten their butts handed to them. So I'm not saying just because you're good at karate means that you can definitely win a fight. However, for this instance, let's say that the karate black belt actually means that. He could stand up and fight a man for 10 minutes. But he has a knife. He's able to just kind of poke him. Take blood out of him. Weaken him. Fight keeps going on. Gets more violent. Things like that. O.J. Simpson did not look like he was in a fight for his life. Nobody ever checked the sun to see how bruised up he was. He's all busted up. He looks like Rocky at the end of the movie. He's like, oh, I was just, uh, I stepped on a rake. So, but nobody questioned it. Nobody examined him to see if he had any of those things. Now, The question is, and then other people are saying, listen, Jason wasn't seen anywhere around the house that night. People thought they saw O.J. Simpson walking in the bushes like Bigfoot, skulking about. People said, if this is, so this is what's interesting is all the pushback on this is, well, what about all the evidence of O.J. Simpson? Why did he go running for his life? Why did he write a suicide note? The bloody shoe prints match the type of shoes that O.J. Simpson wears. All of these other details that came out in the trial, they're going, no one's saying that's not true about Jason didn't get arrested for attacking someone with a knife. Jason wasn't having being diagnosed with IED. They just say, well, no, no, no. Look at all the evidence we have for O.J. Simpson. The problem is, is that that evidence failed in court. So let me ask you this. How good of a father do you have to be to know that your son killed your ex-girlfriend and her new lover? And for you to say, I'll cover it up for you. And if they point the finger at me, I'll go to court. Not only will I do that, but I'll actually make sure they point the finger at me. I'll go on the run. I won't show up for questioning. I'll write a suicide letter. I'll give them all this stuff. Because I know 100% I did not kill them. I know 100% I have no DNA left there after a 15-minute knife fight with two people. I know I left none of my own blood there. I will cover it up. If you found out that your son had done something like that, or your kid or whatever, would you help cover it up? Because you would go into court thinking, I didn't do it. I'm going to give the best lawyers I can. And at the end of the day, I didn't do it. There's nothing physically tying me to that scene other than the bloody shoe print and a glove, which they denied, which his team denied. That's not even his glove. If the glove won't fit, you must acquit," was Cochran's famous saying. The bloody glove that was on the ground. O.J. Simpson tried to put it on during trial. Now he did, like, make a weird hand. It did. It was going to be impossible for it to fit in trial. He could also just drink a bunch of water or had a bunch of like, eat a bunch of salt, get a bunch of sodium, and just kind of swell up. That also make it hard for it to fit. Or the glove wasn't his. Would you be able to take the blame for a crime that your son committed? Would you be willing to risk it all to cover up for his crime? It's an interesting question. And I think all of us just being reasonable adults that we are, you know when you go into trial, even if you are 100% innocent, there is a chance you will be convicted. Which, if this theory is true makes O.J. Simpson's actions even more selfless. He could have said, I had nothing to do with this. There's no physical evidence connecting me to this whatsoever. But I've seen enough people throughout my life go to prison for crimes they did not commit. And I will take that chance for you, Jason. I will take that chance. Would you be willing to do the same thing for one of your kids? Interesting question. Interesting topic on the conspiracy theory iceberg. It's one of the ones that didn't pop out to me at first. And even when I was researching it, I was like, "Eh." the more I thought about it, I thought, that's an interesting angle. Not that the fact that someone came up with this theory, but would you be able to do the same thing that this theoretical O.J. Simpson did? And is it not just that he's back in prison? He was actually a good man who America hated, but his son never stopped loving him. Now, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, our next story, we're taking a little road trip. <laughs> oh, everyone hop in. Everyone hop into the Jason Jalopy. Glad it's back in operation because we're going to be driving around. We are going down America's highways. In fact, we are going down one highway in particular, Highway 152 in California. In Pacheco, uh, Pacheco Pass in Central California runs Highway 152. The road was initially set up during the gold rush. And now it's become one of the many roads that gets Californians, Californians, gets people from California to drive all around. It's a beautiful state. California has a lot of problems, but it is very visually stunning in a lot of places. I used to move up and down the state. First 35 years of my life was just moving from one end of the state to the other. And it is quite beautiful there. And Highway 152 is no exception. But the road is known for kind of two things. It isn't a straight shot. So you'll have like, you'll have straight shots of it, but then the road will kind of get narrower and then it'll expand back to where it should be. You'll have this long open stretch of just straight road and then it'll start curving. So, I mean, if you want to play Mario Kart, it's perfect, but if you're just trying to get around, it's not the most comfortable drive. So it's known for that. But secondly, it is recognized by the CHP, the California Highway Patrol, the CHIPS, to be one of the most dangerous stretches of highway in the state. They are constantly getting called out there for fistfights, for road rage incidents, and for accidents. And they've never really been able to figure out why. The accidents they can go, people are just going super fast, super straight, and all of a sudden the highway will start to turn, start to veer off. Someone's throwing turtle shells at them. The accidents they can kind of figure out. But what is it about this road that seems to make people angrier? Seems to make people have IED. So, they don't know. The cops just patrol it like it's any other highway. They just know they're going to spend more time on Highway 152 than any other stretch. Of California's highways. Some people say that it has an overflow of negative psychic energy, that psychics have gone out there and they've been like, oh, I'm feeling extra angry. There must be some sort of ethereal anger moving through the area. They say that as they're punching the reporter, they're giving a quote to, strangling them out. But there's never, there's never really been anything to key in on what could have caused this. I mean, the road is quite old, 1849, 1850s is when this road would have been established. Maybe not right at 1849, but this path of roadway has been in operation for over 100 years at this point. Now, there is one expert source who thinks they have it figured out. Backpackerverse. Backpackerverse, my favorite new website, thinks it has this figured out. In 1800s, there is a local legend that's still told today, but probably only by Backpackerverse. So since the 1800s, there's been a story of a woman in a 16th century dress walking down the highway, covered in blood. Now, if you're, if, I know people don't listen to every episode, but we've talked about Backpacker Verse before. They like to make stuff up. And you're like, Jason, why are you talking about a, a story you're pretty sure is fiction? First off, the first thing I told you about the most dangerous stretch of highway, that I've heard from multiple sources. And those links are going to be in the show notes. All that stuff's more likely to be true than the woman who was seen in the 1800s wearing a dress from the 1600s covered in blood. Backpacker-verse always likes to exaggerate or just make stuff up out of whole cloth. But the whole cloth that this... Ah, cramp. But, anyways, there's this woman walking around since the 1800s. It's so bizarre to me. Why Was there anyone from the 1600s walking around in California? That's what I don't understand, why she's wearing this old dress. Or was she a woman who died in the 1800s who was like total retro, like she was a a hipster? She's like, I'm not wearing any of your 18th century clothes. I'm only wearing this 16th century stuff. Or she was going to a costume party. But anyways, apparently there's a specter of a woman dressed like she's from the 1600s who walks around this area, walks alone at night, covered in blood. It has to be blood. They always throw blood in all of their stories. So she's covered in blood, which technically I'm going to argue then... That it's probably not a white dress. Which is a detail I didn't add earlier. It's a 16th century white dress. But if she's covered in blood. How can you tell? She walks along this. She makes you get in car accidents. Seeing her makes you angry. She raises the psychic energy. So they've created an origin story. For why this road is so freaky. I think the idea of the road being freaky itself. And having some sort of malevolent energy. And no one knows why. Is actually creepier than making it a woman. Walking down the street covered in blood. Apparently, again, according to Backpackerverse, this story sounds great, don't think it's true, there was a woman named Hattie, who would name their kid that, there's a woman named Hattie, who said she found her great-grandfather's journal, and it told a story that he lived off of Highway 152, way, way back in the olden days, and he lived by himself, and he would go out among the trees, he would be looking around for squirrels to shoot, or rabbits to pet, whatever. And he would see a woman off in the distance, a woman in a white frilly sixteenth-century dress. Which, again, how do people from the eighteen hundreds go? That's not a modern dress. Like they didn't have—they didn't have photos. They didn't know what they looked like. But anyways, he sees a woman in a retro dress, and he would see her off in the distance in the forest. And then, right when he would kind of comprehend that that's out of place, she would disappear, and in a heartbeat, be standing behind him. She- she would hiss in his ear, and then he would turn, and she was gone. Now, the first time it happened, he thought, oh, that's nothing. Like, I must just be hallucinating, drinking too much moonshine. Whatever. But he sees it again a couple of days later. He sees this figure standing off in the woods, and the second he recognizes what it is, he hears the <sighs> turns around, she's gone. And what happened was, first he saw her every few days. Then he started seeing her every day he left his cabin. And then eventually, he saw her multiple times a day. And then he was never seen again. Creepy story. Creepy, creepy story. Apparently, it took place over the course of four months. He's writing in his journal the whole time. And in 1876, they just found his empty cabin and this journal detailing the story of this woman in the white bloody dress moving about the forest and appearing behind him. I love that story. It's a great creepy story, but it... Not true. I can almost guarantee it's not true. One, for a couple reasons. We have no proof that Hattie exists. We have no proof that the diary exists. It's definitely something you would want to take photographs of or sell to the Warrens or sell to any ghost hunter. It doesn't exist. Why is she hissing? Kind of weird. Over the course of four months, if you keep going out in the woods and you see a white woman covered in blood floating around, and then once you realize that's what she's doing, she appears behind you and hisses in your ear. What's the best way to prevent that? don't go into the woods i mean even if i found a, a gold vein even if i was like oh yeah i got all this gold i'm gonna i'm, I'm a pirate now it was forced to 49er but now i'm a pirate after i saw that once i went the first couple times i'd think oh it was just swamp gas or venus or something like that but after i kept seeing it i would think i better leave because if i'm even a miner it doesn't say what this dude did but let's say i was a miner And I have a good gold vein that's keeping me there. I just get enough gold to leave and then sell the land to somebody else and not tell them about the crazy woman. You wouldn't continue to go throughout stuff for four months of this happening. That's like, imagine having the worst roommate in the world. Plus, this roommate can teleport and is covered in blood. How long would you stay with that roommate? So... That's that story, and I love it, but I don't think it's real. But you're like, Jason, why are you spending Friday? Why are you spending the last episode of the week to talk about Backpackerverse? Because I you, we know how you feel about Backpackerverse. Here's why. I said in my intro, the most haunted places that everyone uses. So here's one of my theories. I want to share one of my theories with you. I believe, if we believe in the certain ideas of, like, ghosts are dead people, or ghosts are spirits trap spirits and things like that people who have died violently and there's other theories on ghosts and this one actually works for that too but if we take that into account where do most people die in their homes most people tend to die in their homes but a good amount of people die on the road they die on highways and city streets when you have a ha- so let's say that you die in your house And your ghost is there and you're feeling comfortable. And another family moves in. You can be like a specter and kind of messing about, mucking about, knocking their candles over. (laughs) Don't do that. You'll burn the place down. But, you know, like unscrewing light bulbs, turning the water faucet on, things like that. But over time, you may say, you know, it's time for me to move on. Like, this isn't my home anymore. They've changed everything. They put up that Metallica poster. I like Slayer. This is too much. And your spirit leaves. And that may be why we don't have a ton of home hauntings. That may be why we don't always have a ghost in a house where somebody died. But nobody's home is the road, except for maybe like Johnny Cash. Nobody's home is the road. You are driving down the road to go home and you die. You are, by all respects, really trapped in limbo. You're not at your workplace. You're not at home. You're not at your school. You're not at home. You're not at your friend's house. You're not at home. You're trapped in between these places. And it's the one place your spirit couldn't find rest. Your car crashes. You have a heart attack while you're driving. You choke on a chicken bone because you're eating KFC. Driving down the road going 80 miles an hour. You die. Ambulance shows up. Puts you in the back. Drives you away. But your spirit stays there. It's, it's trapped in a sense that it doesn't have another place to go. It is, by all accounts, a limbo on Earth. And it's the one place that can't be investigated. Are you going to have a paranormal crew stop every mile down the road and spend a couple hours out there or a couple days taking readings and then drive another mile down and do another thing? Every stretch of road and every stretch of highway has had numerous deaths. A house throughout its li- a house that was built in the 50s may have only had one person die in it. A house built in the 1800s may have had five people die in it. But a stretch of road connecting the house from the 50s and the house in the 1800s could have had 10,000 people die on it over the course of those 150 years. That actually might be a bit high, but you know what I'm getting at. Hundreds, if not thousands of people could die on the same stretch of road between those two places where one person died or five people died. Yet we always concentrate on haunted houses, haunted churches, Haunted asylums. But think about how many people die on the freeway versus how many people die in an asylum. Now, some people say that ghosts are psychic energy. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to die there to leave some sort of psychic residue. You could have a horrible fight, could have a horrible heartbreak, and you're leaving a piece of yourself there. Where do you do most of your thinking? Shower, yes, sure, but driving. It's generally when you are alone. Or when you're with someone and they're nagging you the whole way, or your kids are screaming in the back seat and you're thinking, I wish I was 25, I wish I learned how to play the guitar, I wish I had done something. You're leaving that little bit of psychic energy every time you drive to the job you hate. Or driving from the job you love back to the home where you don't feel welcome. You're leaving a bit of psychic energy on the side of the road. We travel so fast down the road unless it was a phantom hitchhiker or something, a a woman in an old dress covered in blood standing on the side of the road, you wouldn't notice the specter standing on the side of the road. You wouldn't notice the grieving spirit. You wouldn't notice the angry poltergeist. You wouldn't pick up on any of these things. You're driving from one location to another. But that road you travel down, may be littered with ghosts, spirits, poltergeists, and the damned. Watching you, underneath the darkened streetlight, behind the grass, just out of sight. And the next time you're driving down that road, take a look in the rearview mirror. See if you see anything out of the ordinary. Because if you do, if you see a trapped, lonely spirit walking down the road, you may drive a little safer so you don't share its fate. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.